grace. Then peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Our text for our sermon is our first lesson, the prophecy of Isaiah as recorded in chapter 66, verses 18 through 24. As for me, because of their works and their thoughts, the time is coming for me to gather people from all nations and all languages. They will come and they will see my glory. Then I will set up a sign among them and I will send out survivors from among them to the nations, to Tarshish, Pole and Lud, to those who are archers, to Tubal and Javan, to the distant coastlands who have not heard my message and have not seen my glory. Then they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they will bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. They will bring them on horses and chariots and wagons and mules and dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. In the same way that the people of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel to the Lord's house. Even from among these people, I will take priests and Levites, says the Lord. For just as the new heavens and the new earth that I am making will remain standing before me, declares the Lord, in the same way your offspring and your name will stand. As often as one new moon follows another and one Sabbath follows another, all flesh will come to worship before me, says the Lord. They will go out and they will see the corpses of the ones who were rebelling against me. For their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched and all flesh will be horrified by them. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Isaiah prophesies roughly 700 years before the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesies to two nations. Remember, there was originally one Israel, but there was a civil war, and there's now the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel, and he tells them, you have so utterly forsaken the Lord and chased after false gods that the Assyrians are going to come and wipe you out. And he prophesies to the people of Judah, basically, and 150 years later, the Babylonians are going to come and haul all of you away into captivity and destroy the temple because you too are worshiping false gods. But Isaiah, with that message before his eyes, also not only sees the spread of the people throughout the kingdom of Babylon, he ultimately sees the return of the people while they will rebuild the temple. He sees the virgin birth of Christ as he prophesies in chapter 7. He sees Christ's death as he prophesies in chapter 52 and 53 where he says those famous words. The sins of the world were laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed. He sees the New Testament era and in today's prophecy as many others we even see the end of times. All this is crumpled up as we look at that uh, exile and return into this one prophecy that in Hebrew is actually poetry and a song as well. And so in all of this prophecy today, we see God's judgment on believers and unbelievers. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like talking about hell. It literally scares me. I'm glad to be spared it. So let's get the scary stuff out of the way first. And that's verse 24. Verse 24 says, And they will go out and they will look at the corpses of the men who rebelled against me, for their worm will not die. That means an eternal decomposition. But we know they're still alive. And so we're told, and their fire will not be quenched. And we know that's hell. And so they will be an abhorrence to all flesh. Horrible thing to hear, isn't it? 
Those who rebelled against God. And remember, he's prophesying at this time to Jewish people who had the Word, who had the temple that pointed to the coming Savior. They had the promises of the coming Savior and they still rebelled against God. In fact, part of this poetry and this prophecy that's not included in today's text is the prior verses 15 through 17 where he says of those who are rebelling against him, Look, the Lord will come like fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to pour out his furious anger and his rebuke like flames of fire. For the Lord will bring judgment on all flesh by fire and by his sword and those slain by the Lord will be many those who try to sanctify themselves and those who try to purify themselves in order to follow others into the groves, in order to eat the meat of pigs and other disgusting things like mice. Together they will be swept away, declares the Lord. He's prophesying to Jewish people who had the temple, who understood all those ceremonial laws of cleanliness. Those laws were designed to teach what the Apostle Paul summarizes in the book of Galatians. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. One little sin snowballs and infects an entire community. But these people, they were chasing after things that were unclean and they didn't care. Now, today, because of Christ, we're safe to eat BLT sandwiches and ham because Christ has made all things clean. However, did you catch those words? Here's the big mistake, because he's talking to people who were born and raised with the word. Those who try to sanctify themselves and those who try to purify themselves. That's in verse 17 just prior to today's text. You see, we still have that problem today in Christianity, don't we? We know that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world and whoever clings to Him for salvation has eternal life, whoever believes in Him. But they tried to do it their way. Just as we have in Christianity often in many congregations today, Think of the Reformation. Martin Luther had come to realize, in modern day terms, the scheme of salvation that was being taught to everyone was like when you leave the headlights on in your car and somebody comes along because your battery's dead and gives you a jump start, and then your car's alternator will take over and charge your battery if you run it long enough. The scheme of salvation in Martin Luther's day was God jump starts you and then you start earning your salvation. That's somebody who's trying to sanctify themselves. That's somebody who's trying to purify themselves. And so Martin Luther spoke up and said, "Uh uh-uh, I've been reading the Bible. And it's very clear that it's by grace through faith that we are saved. Ah, but today we think we know better, but many Christians, they really don't, do they? There are holiness people who think that once God saves you, that you then turn around and you have to keep working until you in and of yourself reach a level of holiness so that you don't drink, smoke, or chew and you stay away from those who do and then you'll be saved. But what? What happens if you fail before you reach that level of holiness? Well, they have the saying, do your best and God will do the rest. Anytime we put even a little bit of salvation into our hands, we're in trouble. We're trying to sanctify ourselves and we'll screw it up. We're taking it out of Jesus' hands where it's safe. This is the way we rebel against God. Now, we hear those very strong words at the end there, and their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched, and so they will be an abhorrence to all flesh. All flesh are the believers who are alive with their glorified bodies. This is actually where Isaiah ends all of his prophecies. That's it. Strong law. They're going to burn in hell forever. Wow. And people say today, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? It's interesting. 
Those same people will look at things that happen in our world, temporal things, when horrid leaders make their way into positions of power and they wipe out people with genocide and they'll wonder why God doesn't intervene there. But then they also complain when there's an eternal God who does intervene in all eternity. Now, God is in control. My point there is, is while there are many people who will claim that how could a loving God send somebody to hell, they don't realize that the one thing we really don't want is an unholy God, right? And the ultimate answer to their question, sadly, I've heard Christian ministers say, I just can't believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell. But the ultimate answer to that is, but God offers salvation to everyone. It's why God became a man and died on the cross, so that if a person finds themselves in an eternity in hell, they have only themselves to blame. God has offered salvation to the world. If a person finds themselves in hell, it's because they have rebelled against God. They have said, no, I want to earn some of my salvation. Or like the outright atheist, I want nothing to do with you. So God's judgment on believers and unbelievers. On unbelievers, it's made very clear, and it's where Isaiah ends his prophecy, his whole book. Unbelievers will spend an eternity in hell. But after God talks about how they're trying to justify themselves in verse 17, he says in verse 18, yet I, really in contrast to their works and their thoughts, the time is coming to gather together all nations and all tongues, and they will come and they will see my glory. What is the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord was that big cloud in the Old Testament that led them but see, the true glory of the Lord is in the fact that while that cloud often thundered out with his law, that he led sinners out of Egypt. God's glory is his grace. And he's talking, Isaiah here, with the backdrop of, of Babylon coming, even though it's quite a ways away. Isaiah is prophesying about the return and that all nations will get to see God's grace. And so verse 19 says, And so I will set a sign among them, and so I will send out some of the refugees. That's the Jews who had been spread out by the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, to the nations, to Tarshish, to Poland, to Lud, who are archers, to Tubal, and to Ionia, to the faraway coastlands who have not heard a report about me and have not seen my glory, and so they will make my glory known. Now, if you had asked a Hebrew in Isaiah's time where some of these places are, they'd know immediately. And we know where several of them are, but some we take a best guess. The point is, those Jews who were spread out throughout the world would turn around and share the word of God with the Gentiles that they lived among. And those Gentiles would get to see the glory. See, he says, I will set a sign among them. What is the sign that he's going to set among them? You and I would think immediately the cross. And we're right. But it's more than that. It's the law that shows us we need to be saved. It's the baby who is conceived in the womb of the virgin. It's the baby who passes through the birthing canal of the virgin. It's that boy growing, living perfectly holy, never sinning, growing into a man and going out into the world, living perfectly holy for us. The world doesn't see God's glory or a great miracle when they see God hanging naked on a cross because they would say if he's God, he should call on those legions of angels and come off that cross and set off a nuclear bomb in front of those people. That's not how the world sees glory, but you and I see Christ on the cross and we see God's glory because that is him paying for our sins and removing our sins. 
We see glory in the empty cross because it tells us, as Christ said, second to the last word on the cross, it is finished, that our sins are paid for in full. And we see glory in the empty tomb because God the Father left us a receipt that He has received Christ's payment. Our sins are paid in full and His empty tomb is our empty tombs. The sign He sets among them is the Word of God. But especially the good news of salvation in Christ. And it's through that Word that any person gets to see the glory of God. Now, a beautiful thing happens here. First, and we got to see this with, the, with men like the Apostle Paul and Peter, that the Jews had the Word of God and they went out to the world and especially the Apostle Paul went out to the known world and they shared the Word of God with the Gentiles. But you know what? There were a lot of Jews who rejected Jesus. There are Jews today that are still being converted in spite of it being so clearly there in the Torah, which is the Old Testament, they miss that the whole thing is about the coming Savior and, that, and therefore they won't believe the New Testament the Savior's come. So there's a reciprocal relationship. Verse 20 says, and then they, this is the Gentiles who the Jews had, had had the privilege of converting, will bring your brothers, that's the Jews, out of all the nations as a freewill offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in covered wagons and on mules and dromedaries are racing camels. They're fast. Upon my holy mountain, Jerusalem, said the Lord. God stops there. This is what the Lord has said. So the Jews go out with the word and show the Gentiles the glory of God. And the Gentiles become believers. And they turn around. Not only do they show it to each other, but they show it to the unbelieving Jews. And there's still people born and raised Jewish by ancestry in the Jewish religion who come to see the true Jewish religion is salvation in Christ. And Gentiles get the privilege. And it's a beautiful picture there. The word that's used for offering is a freewill offering. See, in the Old Testament, all the other offerings, those were sacrifices that were commanded. Great, I sinned. I got to present a bull without blemish or defect. A child's been born and it's a sinner. I've got to present this. And if I'm poor, I can use two doves. But a free will offering, that was given for a different reason. It was not commanded. It was a grain offering that people gave simply to say, thank you, Lord. Why do we share the good news of salvation, which is showing the grace of God, showing God's glory to others? Not because we should. Not because we must if they're not going to go to hell. But as a free will offering. Out of thanks and praise because we know we have seen the glory of God. And He privileges us, gives us the privilege. We don't have to. God doesn't have to use us, but He gives us the privilege to. And as a free will offering, we hear the Word of God and then we share it with others. And He says those words using even racing camels to bring them into Jerusalem. The true Jerusalem is the invisible church. And He says, just as the sons of Israel keep bringing the free will offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. Not the blemished sacrifices, not things that are unclean, not things that are filthy by our sin. I have to admit to you, this morning when I gave the liturgy, I botched it. I screwed up right there at the confession and absolution of sins. Didn't mean to. I'm a flawed human being. But see, there's a beautiful picture. These things are brought in a clean vessel. I, as a free will offering out of thanks for the Lord, see the privilege of proclaiming the Word and sometimes... I stumble, just like you do. But the blood of Christ washes that away and it becomes a clean vessel. So when God opens up the door for you to witness to a friend, a neighbor, or a relative, 
Don't worry that you said the words perfectly. Don't worry if you forget the chapter or you give them the wrong verse, number. Don't worry if you're given a paraphrase. It's washed by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit does His work. And so verse 21 says something that would be pretty shocking to a Jew at the time that Isaiah is prophesying. And I will also take some of them, that's the nations, that's the Gentiles, to be priests and Levites, said the Lord. You, even if you were a Levite by birth, if you had a clubbed foot or a hair lip or something, you could not serve as a priest because you too had to be without blemish or defect in that way as a representation. But what did the priest do? You brought your offering for your sin. You cut its throat. But the priest, he put it on the altar of the Lord for you and he sprinkled its blood on you for the Lord and announced your sins were clean. Even the Gentiles have been made priests. Every one of us are priests. For when you tell somebody the good news of salvation in Christ, you are sprinkling the blood of Christ on them. You do not have to be a called worker. You do not have to be a Levite to tell somebody who is bothered by their sin, Christ has washed your sin away. You are forgiven. For this reason, we've included private confession absolution in our hymnal so that it can be done with husbands and wives in their homes or with neighbors. See, you're a priest. You're a clean vessel because Christ's blood washes you clean. God's judgment on believers is that believers will worship the Lord forever. In this world, in this lifetime, we worship by hearing and sharing the word. It doesn't matter our birth or our genealogy. He has shown us His glory. We know His grace and we have the privilege of sharing it. But what about in all eternity? We've heard what's going to happen to unbelievers. Well, verse 22 tells us, For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I am making remain before me. It's a beautiful picture. God who is above time. So yesterday's the same as tomorrow for God because He's above time. The new heavens and the new earth, the whole culmination of creation, which is for believers, it's right there before his eyes, and he's ruling over time and history to make sure that those happen and to keep them for you. So he says, just as they remain before him, he says, so will your seed and your name remain. And God always means what he says, but he emphasizes that, a declaration of the Lord. Rejoice. Your name remains before him. So just as he's guiding creation to make sure that it all culminates in that new heavens and the new earth, he's guiding your life and ruling over all creation to make sure you get the new heavens and the new earth and the glorified body. But who are your offspring? Certainly when we raise our own children up knowing the word of the Lord, they're included. But I like the apostle Paul often talks in his epistles He talks about begetting some of them, if you will, as their spiritual father. What he's talking about is, while it's the Holy Spirit that gives us faith, the Apostle Paul was the mouthpiece Jesus used to bring that light of his grace to the Gentiles. When you share the word of God with somebody and the Holy Spirit uses that to create faith in them, they're your offspring, your spiritual offspring. So here's a beautiful comfort for you and I both yourself and those whom God has used you to encourage and keep in the faith and even to bring them to the faith, those who have the Holy Spirit will inherit the new heavens and the new earth and a glorified body. And so he says in verse 23, And it will come to pass that all flesh will come in order to bow themselves down before me, new moon after new moon, Sabbath after Sabbath, said the Lord. 
Now, on Judgment Day, everybody's going to stand before the Lord. But he's talking about doing this in all eternity. We've already heard, and that's the last verse of today's lesson, that the unbelievers are going to spend an eternity in hell. All flesh here is everybody that's left, which are those who have the Holy Spirit in their heart, believers. All flesh is the glorified body that's never going to hurt and decay again. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, it will come to pass that you and those whom you've had the privilege to encourage in the word and those who have encouraged you in the word and those that you've had the privilege of bringing into the faith by sharing the word, we're going to get to spend eternity together in heaven. New moon after new moon, we will be worshiping the Lord. We worship the Lord now by obeying him, by hearing his word and sharing his word. And we will worship the Lord forever by basking in his glory. And yes, we will serve him, but it will not be like a slave's kind of service. It will be a joyful, free will offering. And so we see God's judgment on believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers will spend an eternity in hell. But believers will worship the Lord forever. In this world, we worship by hearing and sharing the word. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will worship forever because they are eternally ours. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you two continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.